0: Good morning. I'd like to invite your attention this morning to uh, Luke chapter 12. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be looking this morning at um, a parable which is traditionally called the parable of the rich fool. Jesus is uh, surrounded by a large crowd of people. And in verse 13... It says this, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? So get the picture. Uh, Jesus is surrounded by this large group of people. And evidently there's two brothers uh, that are having a quarrel uh, over their father's inheritance. And one of them uh, goes to Jesus and says, Look, Lord, uh, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me, will you? You know the old saying, wherever there's a will, there's a relative. Well, no different here. And Jesus basically says to them, Look, uh, I'm not going to get involved in your uh, family disputes, your domestic disputes over money. Uh, but given the situation, I do want to give you a warning. Uh, notice verse 15. Watch out. And be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus is basically telling them, "Listen, you need to be aware of something. Whether a person has a little or whether they have a lot, your your possessions are not what define you. Your uh, net worth, worth does not determine your self worth." No person is merely the sum of their material possessions. We are far, far more than that, and Jesus wants them to understand it. Um, So he goes on, and he's going to explain by telling them this parable. Uh, And it begins in verse 16. Then Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, "This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my grain, my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, "You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be many, and be merry." See in the ancient world uh, crops, or grain, as it's translated here? Uh, were essentially wealth. As a matter of fact, some translations say, uh, I said to myself, you have much goods stored up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is your life? What are you living for? Are you living for that tiny blip on the radar screen that we refer to as life on planet Earth or are you living, as Jesus is suggesting here, are you living for things that are going to outlast planet Earth? Things that are going to outlast time and extend into, into eternity and right into heaven itself. What are you living for? You know, as we look at this man's life this morning, we're tempted to think this guy's just messing up everything. But he's not doing everything wrong. There are a few things that he's doing right. First of all, notice uh, he's a thinker. He is a thinker. Uh, Verse 17 says, he thought to himself. And someone might say, well, gee, isn't that kind of a given, Gar? I mean, uh, don't we all think before we make major decisions? Well, uh, no, (laughs) we don't actually. Uh, As a matter of fact, the entire retail industry is geared uh, toward encouraging us to engage in something that they refer, refer to as impulse buying. Uh, I think we all know what that is. You go out uh, shopping, and you end up buying things that you never intended to buy. Sometimes they're small purchases. Sometimes they're large ones. But we all can fall into that trap. You know, I've heard uh, my wife exclaim a couple of times, very frustrated, uh, that she went into her favorite supermarket to do our grocery shopping, and she said, it took me so much longer. And I said, well, why? What happened, hun? She said, well, they had changed the whole store around. Everything was in a different place. Well, did you know that that is a specific marketing tactic designed to make people engage in impulse buying? It really is. Uh, Retailers, and in this case grocery stores, actually rearrange things on the shelves and rearrange the aisles uh, so that people will have a sense of being disoriented when they come into the store to do their shopping. And statistics prove that when people feel disoriented and they, and they end up going up and down aisles where they don't know where they are, that they always, almost always, buy more goods. In other words, they engage in impulse buying. So next time you walk into your favorite grocery store and they've changed everything around, you can, uh, you'll can you have a heads up as to what's going on. But this this guy is a thinker. He thought to himself. He saw what he considered to be an issue, a problem that he had to address. So he sat down and he gave it some serious thought. So he's at least a thinker. Secondly, in verse 18, he came up with a plan. After he thought it through, he came up with a specific plan. Verse 18 says, this is what I'll do. And, you know, sadly, we live in a day when most people are not that intentional. Uh, That's kind of a a buzzword uh, in the last decade or two. Uh, Are you living intentionally, someone might say. And what they mean by that is, are you living life intentionally? Uh, with a purpose? Do you know what you're doing in life? Do you know where you're going in life? Because the fact is, folks, a lot of people don't. They simply don't. Uh, a lot of people, rather than uh, having a plan and being intentional about their life, just sort of uh, kind of sit back and let life happen to them instead of uh, having a plan and a direction and knowing where, where they're going. You know, one of the things that ought to characterize us as believers in Jesus Christ is we ought to have a sense of intentionality about our lives. We ought to have a sense that we're on a mission, that we know why God has put us on planet Earth. We're here for a plan and for a purpose, and our desire is to live that out. And that ought to give every Christian, maybe not all the time, we all have uh, down months, down days, down years, (laughs) but most of the time we ought to be a people on a mission. Uh, I remember when Janine and I were uh, planning our church at the Jersey Shore, uh, Pinelands Community Church, we had uh, two folks, a uh, fairly young couple, that it, uh, came to faith in our church, and they ended up becoming two of our very closest friends and still are to this day. One day we were having lunch with them, and uh, they were having some struggles, uh, marriage struggles, and uh, differences over a business uh, that the husband wanted to start and the wife didn't want any part of. Um, and as we sat down with lunch, uh, over lunch, I remember uh, Mary Anne, the, the gal, saying to Janine and I, "Look, you guys are on the same page in life, and and you know exactly where you're going in life. Anybody who watches you can tell that you know where you're going in life. We have no idea where we're going." And I always I always remembered that because uh, it didn't necessarily. Uh, feel that way to me. It's not necessarily something that ever really occurred to me. But as Christians, we ought to be people on a mission. We ought to be people who have a plan. So the guy's a thinker. He comes up with a plan. And thirdly, we're also in verse 18. He's willing to do the hard work that his plans require. Once he's thought it through and he's come up with a solution, he says this in verse 18. He says, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. So the plan he's come up with is something that's going to require a lot of physical labor, but he's willing to do the hard work that his plans involve. How many people today uh, can honestly say that? How many people today are willing to work hard at whatever labor God gives them, whatever uh, he puts in front of them? Are they willing to roll up their sleeves and do what they have to do in life? Sadly, I see uh, a real deterioration of the work ethic in our country and uh, the government is not is doing some things that I think personally encourage the deterioration of that work ethic. But one of the things that we've tried to instill, for example, in our kids, from the time they were little, we had our kids memorizing Scripture. Uh, they started out uh, with Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. Uh, great verses if you have real little kids. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. A simple verse that, that is a great help to kids because all kids get fearful. But probably the second or third verse that our kids learned was 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, which simply says, if a person will not work, they will not eat. So from the time they were little, they had chores uh, that they had to do to, you know, contribute uh, to the family and um, to the well-being of the family and still do. Still do. As long as they live under our roof, as long as they live home, everybody chips in. Everybody has work to do. And this guy's willing to do the hard work that his plans require. So he's a thinker, he's a planner, and he's a hard worker. And, you know, give credit where credit is due. Those are three important things. But, but, even though he's doing those things right, he he leaves out. He omits the most critical element of all. Notice beginning in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with everyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You know, When God calls you a fool, when God calls a person a fool, that's a serious thing. Uh, If your kids call you a fool, you can remind them that it might be uh, wise of them to hold their tongue uh, when speaking to the person that they rely on to put a roof over their head and food in their stomachs. Uh, If your spouse calls you a fool, uh, maybe it's a good day for uh, a little marital... Argument, I don't know. If your pastor calls you a fool, you can tell him to get a real job. But listen, if God calls you a fool, guess what? You're a fool. You're a fool. Because God gets the final say on things like that. And God says to this man who had thought well, had planned well, and was willing to do the hard work that his plans required, you are a fool. Because this very day, today, your life is over. It's finished. So... Number one, uh, under, what is this guy doing wrong? Well, he planned for time, but he did not plan for eternity. He planned well for time, but he basically doesn't do any planning for eternity. You know, uh, when we told, when Janine and I told family and friends that we were going to be moving to Colorado a couple of years ago, um, everybody has a million questions, right? How would it have sounded, uh, when for example, uh, my brother, uh, who still lives in New Jersey, uh, said, well, you know, what are you going to do when you get out there, Gary? Yeah, what, what are you going to do? Well, uh, haven't really thought about that. really don't have any idea what I'm going to do. Well, uh, what are you going to do for income, for money? Uh, you know, I, I don't have a clue. haven't really thought that through. Well, where are you going in Colorado? You, mu- you at least must know what part of Colorado you're going to move to. No, no, we... You know, maybe generally somewhere in, in, around Denver, but we, we really don't know anything about that. What would people think? They would think, these people are nuts. There, there's gotta be something wrong with them. They're moving to Colorado, but they have no clue where in Colorado, no, no clue what they're gonna do when they get there, uh, no clue where they're gonna get income to live on, and yet they're going to Colorado. I don't get that. You know, Everyone in this room this morning has one simple thing in common, and that is every one of us has an event in our future that is absolutely certain. You've heard it said that the only things that you have to do in life are pay taxes and die. Well, the first one of those two isn't even true. Uh, Just look at the IRS employees. But for you and I, one thing that we absolutely have to do is we have to die. Everyone in this room, unless the Lord comes back, is going to Face physical death, the inevitable fact of physical death. It is just like it would be crazy for us to move to Colorado with absolutely no plans. How much more foolish, how, how much crazier is it knowing that death is in our future to absolutely plan zero, do zero planning for an inevitable thing like death? This guy had planned well for time, but he had made no plans for the day when his life was over. And God steps onto the stage of his life and says, today it's over. So he planned well for time, but not for eternity. Second thing he did wrong, he was gripped by greed, which is the inevitable product of selfishness. I want you to notice just for a minute, I'm going to back, jump back up to verse 16. I'm going to read verses 16 through 19. And I want you to notice how many times this guy uses personal pronouns. He's really into personal pronouns. Beginning in verse uh, 16 and reading through 19. Then Jesus uh, told him this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded abundant crops. Uh, now notice verse 17. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and i will store my surplus grain and i'll say to myself you have plenty of grain stored up for many years take life easy eat drink and be merry this guy is absolutely completely wrapped up in himself he he is the epitome of selfishness in those uh in those few verses Actually, three verses, he uses either I, my, or myself ten times. Ten times in three verses, he he reveals that the end product of of his well-being, the end product of his life is his own personal well-being. He's completely in the grip of greed and, therefore, is completely self-absorbed, a completely selfish person. And number three, the third thing this guy does wrong, he makes a critical assumption, um, a very costly assumption. He assumed that he had quote many years. Remember, uh, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You have much good stored up for many years. But God steps onto the scene of his life and says, tonight, today, it's over. It's over. And, you know, the parable, Jesus never tells us how old this man was. Because, you know what? The truth is, caskets come in all sizes. They make little caskets, they make middle size caskets, and they make large caskets. Um, I'm throwing a picture up on the screen here uh, this morning, just in case you were curious. We had talked about the retail industry earlier. Um, Costco is now uh, selling a line of caskets, universal caskets. The next time you're in Costco uh, buying your bulk goodies, uh, you can, uh, if you've had the loss of a loved one recently, you can stop on your way out and, and grab a casket. The retail industry is doing everything they can to make our lives easier. It's kind of, kind of touching, actually. <laughs> actually, it's not. Listen, if God were to say to you today, it's over, are you ready? what is your life what are you living for are you living for that small blip on the radar screen called life on planet earth or are you as jesus is suggesting are you living for things that are going to outlive this life this earth things that are going to last through time right into eternity and right into heaven itself what Are you living for? And if God were to say to you today, it's over, do you know for sure that you're ready? Do you know for sure if God said to you, it's over, that you would immediately, at the at the last beat of your heart, at the last breath of your lungs, do you know the minute that your eyes closed in death, that you would wake up immediately on the other side of time to an eternity with Jesus Christ? And I don't mean think so, hope so, pray so, maybe so. I mean, do you know that you have eternal life? Because the Bible's clear that we can know that we have eternal life. And the truth is, guys, God doesn't want anyone to be in doubt about something as important as where you're going to spend eternity. So do you know for sure that you have eternal life? And you know what? The best-kept secret in the world is that eternal life is a free gift by God's amazing grace. And it's free. You know why? The Bible says because then God gets all the credit, all the glory, and we are simply the recipients. But you know what? There are some people who don't like free. There are some people who feel like they've been good enough or they're going to work their way. They're going to earn their way. You know, uh, back in... 2004. Actually, it was Easter week of 2004. Um, I was the pastor of Pinelands Community Church in New Jersey, our our church plant. And someone called me and said, uh, I have a friend uh, whose husband is dying of cancer. He's only in his mid-40s, and he hasn't been a church-going person his entire adult life. He went some when he was a child, but hasn't uh, been to church in many, many years. And he would like to talk to a pastor. Would you be willing to visit him? Well, um, I, I never turn down opportunities like that. <laughs> never. Uh, and I recall going to this man's house. I, I could take you right to the house today and um, on Mathis Town Road in Little Egg Harbor, New Jersey. And I went in, and his wife showed me in. Uh, she said, I have to see how alert he is. He's been kind of out of it the last few days. Um, but he was sitting up in bed, and he greeted me. I introduced myself, and he, he told me his name. And uh, his wife whispered to me, oh, he's, he's very much alert. This is good. And I said, yeah, this is great. Um, so we had a little conversation. I asked him uh, how, how he felt about the prognosis. He said, well, the doctors have told me that I, I have less than a week to live or about a week to live. And I said, are you okay with that? Are you, are you ready? for that. And he said, "Well, it's it's I guess it's just my time." I never forgot that statement. And I said, "Yeah, but everybody's time comes sooner or later, but are you ready? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity?" And he said, "Well, no." And I I've never thought about that a lot in my life, but I've been thinking about it a lot since I found out I had terminal cancer. So, one thing led to another, and I said, "Look, do you mind if I give you a simple illustration about how a person can't work their way or earn their way to heaven? He said, sure. I said, suppose medical science could come up with a way to take every single cancer cell out of your body and put it into my body. What would happen to me? Actually, at first I said, what would happen to you? And he said, well, I would live. And I said, exactly. That's right, you would live. I said, and what would happen to me He said, well, you would die. And I said, yes, right again. I said, do you know that the most terrible cancer ever known to man is the cancer that the Bible calls sin? And every single one of us is infected with this cancer. But there's really good news because there's been a cure found for this cancer. And 2,000 years ago, God the Son... Took on human flesh, stepped across the stars, came to this planet, took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a perfect, sinless life, and then offered himself as a sacrifice to pay for, to cure the cancer of sin for all men for all time. And when Jesus Christ died on that cross 2,000 years ago, can. Just say his name was Ken. Ken, he paid for every sin that you would ever commit in your life from the cradle to the grave. Or as preachers like to say sometimes, from the womb to the tomb, every single sin is paid for. I said, what, what do you think about that? And he said, wow, that's, that's incredible. He said, wouldn't, it would be wonderful if that were true. And I said, well, it is true. It really is. I said, and you don't have to work for it. You can't work for it. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Nobody does. But the minute in your heart that you are convinced that that is true, and that's the word that St. Paul uses in Romans chapter 4, by the way, when you're fully persuaded or fully convinced in your heart that when Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he did everything that God requires for you to go to heaven when you die. At that moment, the Bible says God gives you eternal life as an as an absolutely free gift, and you can never, ever perish. And that is really good news. Well, he, he had a smile on his face, and he said, would you be willing to come back again? I'd like to talk about this some more. I said, sure, I'd love to come back. And so we, his wife came in at that moment, and uh, she sort of ended things. And I said, well, hopefully I'll, I'll, you know, I'll see you again. I said, but just remember what we talked about. He said, oh, I will. And as I walked out the door, I I, I knew, I, f- I felt really good that the Lord had connected with this guy and that I, I think he was basically getting the idea that it's really a free gift. But like I said when, before I told you this story, not everybody likes free. And the minute we left his bedroom and his wife closed the bedroom door behind her, we walked through another room into the kitchen and she closed another door and she turned around two foot from my face and said to me, angry. It was obvious she was angry. And she said, I want to know why it isn't enough to just be a good person. And, I, you know, for, I'm rarely, a, as a, not many preachers are usually at a loss for words, and that includes me. But for, for a moment, she really, I was really taken back. And finally, I just said to her, I said, because that's what the Bible says, that none of us are good. As a matter of fact, Romans 3 says there's none good, not even one. And she said again in an angry voice, I don't believe that. Some people don't like free. But listen, if you think you're going to earn your way, you think you're going to work your way to God's heaven, then you know what? If the Bible's true, you will never see God's heaven. But if you're willing to say, you know what? I don't have anything to offer God. I can't work my way. I can't earn my way. But I'm willing to accept it as a free gift because of the amazing grace of Jesus today, right where you're sitting. God can, will give you eternal life, and the Bible says you'll never perish. You know, there's a few objections, and this lady gave me one. I just want to run through a couple of them quickly. A couple of objections that uh, that I've heard many times over the years uh, to people who don't like free. Uh, this one is really common, and it's kind of what, the, what this lady was saying to me. But I'm a good person. I've never robbed any banks, never killed anybody, never cheated on my wife. You know, God will let me into heaven, won't he? Well... Uh, if being a good person were enough, maybe he would. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 12, there is none good, not even one. And then this one, which my own father said to me once, um, and really broke my heart because as far as I know, and only God knows the heart, but as far as I know, this is what he believed till the end of his days. He said, I live by the Ten Commandments, and that's going to get me to heaven. Really? 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 And I didn't say this to my dad at the time, but I wanted to say, you know what, I suppose, okay, I'll just take it your word. Let's suppose you've never killed anybody. Uh, let's suppose, and I already know this is wrong, but let's just say that you never took the Lord's name in vain. And I heard him do that many times growing up. Uh, let's suppose you did those things perfectly your whole life. Would, would anyone in this room... Not just my father, would anybody here this morning like to claim that they have honored their father and their mother in absolutely every circumstance of life? Anybody, as one pastor friend of mine liked to say, anybody dumb enough to bite on that one? None of us has honored our our parents perfectly in every instance for our entire lives. And nobody's going to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 that the Ten Commandments are a tutor to point us to Christ. The Ten Commandments are there to show us that we can keep them. And then so Paul, the last verse of Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this. If a person can be put right with God by the law, that is by the commandments, it means that Christ died for nothing. Do You see that? If it were possible to get to heaven by keeping the commandments, then Jesus died on the cross for nothing. So no one gets to heaven by keeping the commandments. And then this one that I've heard, I believe getting into heaven requires faith plus works. Isn't that right? Well, no, sadly it's not. And if you really want to be scared to death, if uh, if you're a serious Christian and you know your Bible... Get a get a group of Christians together and just write on a chalkboard or on a, a, a marker board, uh, how does a person get to heaven? And put faith plus works and draw a box around that. And then on the other side, write faith alone and draw a box around that. And ask these regular evangelical church-going people to point to which one gets you to heaven. It will shock you how many people will point to faith plus works. I hope you know this morning, it's by faith alone in Christ alone. And that's why, again, the great Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I'm going to ask the um, projections to throw up the next slide. Uh, some of you, especially if you're golf fans, will know who that gentleman is on the right, on the right-hand side there. That is a picture of Payne Stewart uh, when he won the U.S. Open back in the late '90s. Uh, many of you will remember that um, Payne Stewart was killed tragically uh, in a plane crash, along with several others, in uh, in the fall of 1999. Uh, you might not be aware of who the guy on the left is. The guy on the left. Um, his name is Larry Moody, Jr., and Larry and I grew up about uh, 15 miles apart from each other in Ocean County, New Jersey. Uh, Larry is the chaplain for the Professional Golfers Association and um, also a graduate of Dallas Seminary. And, and Larry, um, Larry had interaction with Payne Stewart uh, for the last uh, five years or so of his life. Uh, understand, Payne Stewart, and this is how the story comes back to me, Payne Stewart had grown up, Uh, In a church-going family, an evangelical church-going family, uh, from the time he was a small boy. Uh, And yet he he sensed that there was still something that he was missing. And one day, about uh, two years before his death, a year and a half to two years, um, he had a conversation with Larry Moody. And this was during the time when uh, everybody was remar- re- everyone was wearing, as some of you will remember this. Remember the bracelets? Usually it was bracelets. Uh, uh, sometimes it was necklaces, and the bracelets or necklace would say W W J D. Remember that? What would Jesus do? And this was uh, they were very much in vogue in the 90s. And uh, Payne Stewart said something uh, to Larry Moody to the effect that. Uh, Larry, you must be happy. There's a lot of guys on the tour uh, that are wearing the WWJD bracelet, and Larry said, "Yeah, Payne, that's true." Um, he said, and, "And and that's that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing." He said, "But in one sense, it does concern me because I see a, I see a number of guys wearing that bracelet, and I know that they do not know Jesus personally. They don't know him as their Savior." And he said, "Well, what do you mean?" And Larry suddenly realized what he had suspected, and that is that Payne Stewart himself, wearing a WWJD bracelet that his son had given him, in fact, didn't know the Lord personally. He didn't know Jesus as his Savior. So Larry shared the gospel with him this way, and this is one of the key things he said. He said, Payne, listen, before you ask the question, what would Jesus do, WWJD, you need to first ask the question, WDJD, what did Jesus do? And what Jesus did was 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross to pay for all your sins. And the moment you trust in him alone as your savior, not your own works, not being a good person, not going to church not being baptized, none of that stuff, but simply trusting in what Christ did on the cross for you at that moment, God gives you eternal life. So the first question, the paramount question, is not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? And Payne Stewart, within the next month or so, was radically transformed. And he would, he would admit to Larry Moody later, that that was the moment when the gospel clicked for him, when the light went on. What is your life? What are you living for? Are you living for this momentary blip on the radar screen called life on planet earth? Or are you following Jesus' admonition, his advice? Are you living for things that are going to outlast this planet, outlast this life, things that are going to extend all the way into eternity and right into heaven itself? What are you living for? Well, only a year after the life went on for Payne Stewart, uh, his life ended tragically in that plane crash. And Larry Moody, uh, after Payne's death, Larry Moody... Uh, spoke at a memorial service uh, at Payne Stewart's alma mater, Southern Methodist University. And among his remarks, he said this, and I quote, Remember, there's nothing magical about the bracelet, Moody told them. Payne Stewart asked the question, what would Jesus do? Because he had first accepted what Jesus had done. So wear the bracelet, WWJD. But don't forget to first embrace Jesus as the Savior and ask, what did Jesus do? And once you've experienced God's love and amazing grace by accepting Jesus as your Savior, then wear the what would Jesus do bracelet so to remind yourself to live your life in such a way that other people who don't know the Lord will be drawn to him through your life and the way that you're living. What is your life? What are you living for? You're living for that tiny blip on the radar screen called life on planet Earth, that momentary blip? Or are you living for things that are going to outlast time and this planet, things that are going to last into eternity and right into heaven itself? What are you living for? Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your son and what he did on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. And we thank you for your word. May it be real, may it be relevant, and may it be life-transforming in the hearts of your people this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.